filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster buddy dave clark listeners will will recognize the name he's he's the founder and managing editor of uh of sounder at heart the the mother of all mls blogs that we all aspire to uh at least as far as traffic numbers they're real big and real important as the news today uh bears out the the sounders will be wearing a um a a motto a mantra uh, that originated with Dave and Sounder at Heart on the back of their neck this year. Um, there, Dave has has said, "You will hear us." He he has a whole Latin motto that that translates to "You will hear us in your sleep." You will hear, yeah, no sadietes. The name of their podcast uh, translates to "You will hear us." No sadietes. And the English phrase will be where uh, DC United is going to be wearing the Latin long of. Uh, of buzzard point on the outside back of, of their neck. And that's really damn cool. A sports blog is being immortalized on the Jersey of the team. They support that's, that's really cool news that. So Adam, does, does, does this mean if we try hard enough, we can get DC United goat goat welcome goat on the back of their Jersey. (laughs) That is not our motto. That is very not our motto. We should try. We're we should try. This. Fam, we're, fam, we're doing this. What if we? What if we went with the thing there? Uh, like maybe ten, ten years ago, uh, Getafe in Spain had a jersey that Burger King paid them to do, where um, if you flipped the shirt up over your head to celebrate, it had a picture of the king from their ads under like on the underside of the shirt so it was only exposed when you a little bit the shirt close up. to the occult right um, now i think what if it was a goat face instead in that place? <laughs> this is getting this is getting really Perhaps. really okay. uh, yeah um, black jerseys goat faces <laughs> instead of that three would, stripes it, can we just can have we get a, pentagram? a jersey customization with a pentagram complete with the mls drop shadow the number drop shadow um, if they can print that up i would I, I guess now I'm bound yeah. to, to say I would get that. No. And, and then it will say, and then on the back it will say, Goat, Goat, Welcome, Goat, but you have to read it as like, Goat, 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 Welcome, Goat. Hey, hey, welcome in. <laughs> this is gone horribly goat. so far. Uh, this is black and red. Uh, this is filibuster. See, Ben, you've completely broken. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> this is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. Wait, no, I'm not. I'm Ben Bromley, uh, joined, as always, by Adam Taylor and Jason Anderson. 
Uh, we have a good show for you today. Uh, Adam will eventually recover, and then we're going to talk about uh, DC United signing uh, potentially Yamil uh, Assad, and then maybe some other stuff. So it'll be good, despite my really go- disasters. Drink, actually. Uh, Adam, um, what are you drinking? It's Manhattan Old Overholt with uh, Capitoline Rosé from the Green Hat Brewery here in DC. Um, Capitoline Rosé Vermouth, I should say. It's not just a rosé wine. Uh, that wouldn't make any sense in a Manhattan. Uh, some Angostura bitters, yeah. and I didn't have any cherry or, or oh. any citrus I wanted to garnish it with. But I did have some blueberries that are just completely soaked in gin. And so so that's adding a nice um, ah, kind of almost contrasting element, which which I think is light enough that it's, it's really good. So I'm pretty pleased with the way this turned out. That sounds delightful. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I have a uh, classic margarita. Uh, so I've got uh, Omeka Altos uh, Plata as my tequila, lime juice as my lime juice, and uh, Grand Marnier as my orange liqueur uh, choice. Um, but it's a, it's a big one. So it's like a pint glass of margarita. Nice. Hashtag I am glass. also drinking a margarita, uh, surprisingly enough. I got... Hashtag marks. Um, and I got a new margarita, uh, a new tequila this week. So I was going to ask Jason if he knows of it. It is, of course, I, I always try to get the cheapest 100% agave tequila that, uh, the mm-hmm. Virginia ABC store has, uh, cause they only have a limited amount. I got, uh, before my go-to was, uh, Trace Agaveles, which was pretty decent. Uh, but this week I got, uh, Luna Zool. Jason, do you know okay. Luna Zool? I do. Uh, that's a pretty good one. Right. Um, it was twenty one ninety nine for a liter, and I thought that was a pretty good price. So, yeah, and that is uh, another one hundred percent non Cuervo uh, tequila. Yeah. So, I mean, I know I've told the story before, so I'll just tell tell it very briefly. But when we went on our honeymoon uh, in South Carolina, the liquor store man berated us for uh, by trying to buy Cuervo, and he told us to buy 100% agave tequila because basically if you don't you're just buying uh tequila flavored vodka with uh usually with like a yeah. or at least um Cuervo Gold has some caramel coloring in that it to too. make it look like it's been aged yeah. so it's very bad all around um but i promised at least in the pre-show i prob- promised to tell adam about because my we favorite off dream. The rails already let's hear it so yeah, so I was in my dream. I was, and I didn't know this was real until I asked my wife, "Wait, did this actually happen, or did I dream about this?" But I live out in the suburbs, and I thought I was driving home and saw that they were building a new Total Wine uh, on my route home, which would have been great and amazing. But then when I woke up, like, and I believed this for probably a solid thirty-six to forty-eight hours that this had actually happened. And then when I asked my lovely wife about this, she was like, what are you talking about? That is not happening at all. And then I drove past where I thought it was happening uh, today on my way into work. I was like, oh no, that is not happening in any way, shape, or form. So it just made me sad that I had a fever dream inventing a total wine that was close to my house. Admitting you have a problem is the first step, Benjamin. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> I'm not admitting I have a problem. I'm admitting I have a fever dream. Ben, was this actually a fever dream? Because this, by 
in my like the dream standard I have, this sounds like an extremely regular dream. No, it was actually more a regular dream. Okay, it was a few. You, you didn't have like it was only a fever. It was a dream. total wine, but also it talked to you. Yeah, no, it was only a fever dream in the sense that I like woke up at four a.m., then fell back asleep, and then I think that's when I had the dream about the total wine. Okay, that's all. <laughs> Adam, Adam, can you please get us back uh, on track? Yeah. So there is there is one and only one big piece of DC United news for us to talk about tonight. I was actually worried um, while we were planning the show over email that, that we wouldn't have anything to talk about this week. Um, we I, we were going to resort to talking about more things like Seattle's uniform situation, possibly the the drainage in a property nearby Buzzard Point. Um, I was getting desperate. I was really, really um, grasping at straws. And then Yamil Assad reportedly happened. Uh, if you paid any attention to Major League Soccer last year, this is a guy whose name should jump up at you because he was pretty darn good on a pretty darn good team. Uh, he had seven goals, 13 assists for Atlanta United last year, including scoring their first ever goal in club history uh generally played on the left side of their attacking three uh high energy guy doing work on both sides of the ball uh the the black and red united twitter account tweet uh retweeted uh a, a thread from at teodal football uh that, that laid out the case that he was among the best wide midfield players in the league across several categories um I, I think the the conceit of the threat is he couldn't find a statistical category in which Yamil Assad wasn't at the top of the league. Um, so, so this is a, a, a get that I think a lot of people are, are pretty excited about for pretty good reason. Um, at least just, just on the surface, he's a guy that, that should get you excited. I know down in Atlanta, they were sad to see him go. He was a salary cap, casualty because they had basically maxed out their 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 salary on guys like Joseph Martinez and Miguel Amiron and Ezekiel Barco. Uh, it, yeah, if you're spending fifteen million dollars on a yeah, guy, they, you probably don't have a lot of They're at the point where they're crowding out guys like Yamil Assad even with Tam. I guess the that situation broke down before discretionary Tam entered the picture. I think if they, I'm sure they don't even have enough discretionary time to do this. Well, I mean, the the thing for them is that um, he went back to Argentina. His loan ended, and they were trying to come up with new yeah. terms. Where they, Atlanta was still trying to make this work, um, they just couldn't quite reach a set of terms that that Villa Sarsfield, the Argentine club that Assad is still currently that's currently his only club. This is not an official deal yet, so. Um, but yeah, they, they were trying to come up with terms. They just couldn't quite make it work. Um, and eventually came to the conclusion that it wasn't good. They were never going to be able to fit it in, uh, for their cap space that all of their various concerns. And so they decided to turn around and say like, well, I guess we need to figure out what we can do with his MLS rights because their pursuit of signing us or retaining him allowed them to keep his MLS rights, which uh, it sounds like it's going to be the more co- most costly yeah, part of the deal, at least for go on the side real quick. Velez Sars- Sarsfield. One of those words is vaguely Spanish, which makes sense for Argentina. The other one is very not. Did, do we know the origin of that 
club. I'm gonna guess. I mean, I mean by British. I, 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 I yeah, we can Google here in a second, but I, yeah, my guess would be that it is uh, Europeans, probably Brits, coming and founding the team like they did with so many teams in the uh, uh, late twenties and thirties. All right, let's hear the real reason. Um, so Velos Velos was founded in 1909, oh, and wow. uh, there was a, a game being played by workers near the Velos Sarsfield railway station. So uh, Vela Sarsfield was already a thing wow. before the soccer team. Um, so to determine how Vela Sarsfield became a name, we would need to know how uh, that railway station got its name. And there's no nothing here that I can see. So um, I believe it's a neighborhood within a neighborhood in Buenos Aires, if I'm correct. So um yeah, uh, it's it goes way back though. Those the roots are there for a, um, going uh, going pretty far back yeah, into. Uh, it sounds like history. into the nineteenth century. The date, the name, dates. So okay, cool history lesson. Yeah. And listeners, if you want to, if you can run this down, I will absolutely um, talk about this next week if you give me reason to. Uh, apparently, well, well, apparently it is. There is a. Uh, Damasio Velez-Sarsfield was a um, Argentine of Irish descent who reformed their constitutional and civil code, and uh, they named the train station after him. He died in 1875. Never mind, listeners. Ben stole your glory. Glory stealing Ben. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) He's the guy who sees sees the ball rolling into the net slowly behind the defense nobody has a chance to stop it and he goes and smashes it steals the goal that's ben i need my bonus <laughs> uh dc united sending half a million in various flavors of monopoly money to atlanta over the next two years for the mls rights to Assad. uh they sent 300 grand in actual real world money i don't think it was in bitcoin uh, to Vela Sarsfield for the loan this year. I hope I hope it was in Bitcoin because Bitcoin is crashing now. Yeah, maybe so they get sent it, it to him can. in um, Dow Jones futures or something too. Speaking of things that are not doing well on the market, uh, there's an option to buy at the end of this year for or any time before the end of this year for seven hundred thousand dollars, bringing the the total outlay uh, to bring him to DC at a million and a half. Uh, maximum for DC United, which is a pretty tidy deal for a guy who did what he did last year in his first year in MLS. Uh, he's not a big guy, five seven. Uh, I think I thought I saw something listing him at five nine, and I thought that was a bit much. I think he does kind of um, use some uh, product to get his hair up a little high. That might be adding an inch or so. Um, yeah, he's not tall. If, if you're looking for a tall yeah, DC player, United, not the guy. potentially very small attacking midfield um, next year. Paul Ariola, not big. Lucho Acosta, very not big. And and now possibly uh, Yamil Assad. Assad, per reports, will be a TAM player for DC United. He made 150k last year in Atlanta, which is a bargain uh, for for seven goals and 13 assists. Um, he's going to be above the, the DP threshold of 
around five hundred thousand right. dollars this year for DC United, but that will be bought down against the salary budget with targeted allocation money right. by DC United. And and that salary figure from last year probably isn't a reflection of how much money he actually made. Um, they probably bought him down because you can buy someone down with Tam to one hundred and fifty thousand. Right. Um, so they probably bought his thing, his contract down with Tam, and also. Um, the fact that there's a loan fee being paid and there was a loan fee, if I'm not mistaken, being paid last year right. as well, yeah, um, that. that gets bundled in. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons why you have to use Tam to avoid a designated player tag on a player that isn't necessarily getting designated player money in his pocket. But the cap hit refle- that he would reflect would be right. a designated player's cap hit. So we get into the weeds of MLS salary cap uh, management almost immediately with him. Um but yeah. luckily, luckily, regardless of any of his other qualities, Dave Casper is a master at cap management. So I trust what he's doing in this arena is good to go. Yeah, I would expect him to use some TAM. to pay. If, if they're going to pay Assad down with TAM, they're probably going to pay him down to 150000 just like Atlanta did last year. Um, right. So it'll probably be one of those situations where the salary cap comes out and people will say, wow, DC United got... Assad on such a deep discount. It's like, well, you know, for cap purposes, yes, but actually, no. Yeah, this um, is one of those where the the periodic MLS Players Union salary dump um, doesn't work. It's right. supposed to be, yeah. you know, the what the contract says the player gets as far as base and guaranteed. That's that's the number that they purport to give us. We know from Fabian Espindola's time in DC when he was a designated player listed at making $150,000 or something. Um, we knew he was making significantly more than that, but it wasn't reflected in the, the union's salary dump. And that's, um, yeah, they, it makes me question some some other numbers, and this this would be one of them. Which is, uh, I think the main thing is, as a reminder, when we get the player the players' union numbers, is that it's an extraordinarily rough guideline. Um, yeah. And trying to treat it as more than that, you're going to end up, you know, you're going to end up being off the mark. Um, the best thing to do is be like, look, we know they're somewhere in this neighborhood as far as the cap goes, but that's all we really know. Right. Um, and when you start to see things like an even number, like 150,000 even is kind of an, is, is odd um, because of the way the price points work in MLS. You see most other salaries have um, a random number without a bunch of zeros. So you've got like a number that comes with change. You know, someone makes like something, something 72 cents. Um, those are probably authentic numbers. Whereas if you see a guy listed with a random number that caps off nicely at 150 or 200,000, then something's been done to hide their real salary vis-a-vis the cap. I do want to commend you for that turn of phrase though. If a number comes out, even it's odd. That was good. <laughs> I did not mean that. Take credit when I give it to you. No. <laughs> Assad adds to what has become a a almost surprisingly deep core of uh, attacking midfielders for DC United. He he joins, of course, Zoltan Stieber, Lucho Acosta, and Paul Ariola on that uh, four that, six zero four <laughs> six zero on that line of three from from last year. I, I guess it could be a line of four if if. We want to just go completely crazy attacking um, and slot Assad into the middle next to <laughs> Lucho Acosta. 
but uh before we get into the you know exactly how he fits i'm curious what your guys first thought when when you saw the news uh reported on twitter or at espn.com it was um paul tenorio who broke the story first with an article uh that this was was happening and and steve goff uh on twitter filling in some of the gaps and i think he may have even tweeted before tenorio's story came out but but tenorio had obviously been working on it um so I mean, I'm just curious what your guys' first thoughts was. Were. I mean, my, my first thought is I'm really excited about the just pure speed that this gives DC United. We've talked about for a long time about how United hasn't had speed. And then when they finally got Areola, it was an improvement in speed. And uh, even when they got um, uh, Patrick Diaco, that was an upgrade in speed. And they they, they just haven't had burners for a long time and now they potentially have Yamil Assad they have Darren Maddox they have Paul Areola all of those guys can just burn it down the line and having a front three of that just even if it's not your uh starting front three that front three is could be devastating against uh tired opposition against slower opposition against a lot of opposition so the ability they are going to have to burn down the field is the first thing I thought of, and it has me really excited because this team has been so slow for so long. So just being able to uh, get something on the counter and then just go, it just sounds amazing to me. Uh, my first thought, I think it would be best summed up as, what? <laughs> um, and, then, and then I had a few minutes to actually turn that into uh, something more than that. Um, the midfield is, it was already like, I thought the midfield was the one spot on the team where I'm sure is, uh, I'm sure we're getting a playoff level group. Um, and then to add to that, I mean, um, I'm a huge fan of Zoltan Stieber's game, but I'm now I'm not even sure he's a starter because Yamil Assad is that good. Um yep. I'm not sure that Emil Assad is a starter because I'm sure that Zoltan Stieber is, is that good. So um, I, I, from a trying not to be negative about having too many, like you don't want to be complaining about an overabundance of a good thing. And this is an overabundance of a good thing. Um, I'm not sure what the actual plan is um, to make it all work, uh, which we're going to get into. Um, four, six, zero. And, and four, I'm not six, sure zero. that spending this, this kind of uh, putting in this kind of outlay towards a position that United's already deep at when there's still concerns at fullback, there's still concerns up front. Um, I'm not sure it's the best approach, but on the other hand, Yamil Assad was one of the best proven MLS players that was just out there to be had. Um, and all the signs were pointing to other teams that uh, desperately needed to do something. Um, Going for him instead, I know there was some talk about Minnesota United uh, at one point pursuing him. They absolutely they if if I'm Minnesota and this and I was still serious about pursuing him, I know they've also moved on to a um a guy playing in Colombia that was going to be a little more costly. Um, but if they were still thinking of getting that guy and Assad, and then this happened to them, I'd be like, what are we doing? Um, but then you know Minnesota United's got their own their problems. Um, yeah, it, it's a. Uh, it's a fascinating thing. And I, I guess the, the thing that I come back to and, and Adam, you referenced that, um, that series of tweets um, from Teodoro football with those uh, numbers. 
is the fact that United can use Assad to become a full-time high press team if they want to. Um, that option last year, you know, I know a lot of people that weren't watching DC every week were just of the, under the assumption that there was a the defending counter and that was it. Um, but United was selective in how they pressed. They they would try and high press you for phases of games. It just wasn't all, all an all out, you know, sporting Kansas City 90 minutes high press. Um, and, yeah. And they were even better at that in, in right. 2016 than they were in, and, in 2017. Um, I remember Lucho when he came in, he quarterbacked that that press and it was really impressive at times. And last year, it never got to that level. Well, I wouldn't say never. They did actually pull it off against of all teams, Atlanta oh. um, a couple of times. Yeah. Um, well, but rarely yeah, got um, to that level, I should say. But, you know, it they're I with the way the schedule set up this year and the fact that they've got so many new faces to get up to speed. I'm not going to sit here and tell you to expect them to play like Kansas city or like the red bulls from the start of the season, because a big thing about a press is that you need a lot of familiarity. You need a lot of people understanding how to fill in for each other on the fly. Um, You need to be absolutely sure of the soccer IQ from front to back. You can't have a weak spot when you're going to be high pressing. If you've got one player who's just not smart enough and, and quick enough of thought to make it happen, your press is going to break down because the other team is going to start attacking that guy over and over again. Um, but I think the possibility of building towards that during training and maybe deploying it as the season goes on when the home schedule sets you up for um, a little easier recovery, which high pressing is also very demanding on um, your recovery. Um, it, this might be more of a let's set ourselves up for that back half of the season and we don't just have to play better soccer when the home games come around. It's also let's throw a different element at people. Um, we're going to spend a lot of time defending counter on the road. I think everyone understands that almost every team in MLS plays that way. Um, but to be able to then shift gears and have um, a high press game plan in place for those home games, I think that could be the plan here because Assad was outstanding in, on that side of the game. Um, I mean, the, the numbers back it up, the number of tackles he was getting, the in- interceptions, blocking passes, um, winning fouls as well. Just He was just relentless. And um, having him on one side and Paul Ariola on the other means you get this, you know, almost bottomless work rate uh, on both sides of the field. And I think um, having them lead the charge, so to speak, is going to boost the whole group. And all of a sudden, maybe we can start to see United – because. United has a good midfield and maybe has some issues elsewhere, but a high press, a successful high press could cover some of that. Um, so mm-hmm. that's what I'm thinking right now is, is maybe down the road is, is um, the ability to move into being a high press team full time, because um, as much as people think they have sussed out uh, Ben Olsen's preferred style of play, I don't think we've actually got a good handle on it because we've never seen what he does when his roster is as talented as everyone else's. Um, and now we're getting towards, we're still, still work to be done for DC United to be as talented as the good teams in the East, but we're getting closer. Um, and as you get closer, it opens up more possibilities. You don't just have to be defense first to get by. You can actually open up a little bit. Uh, and, and I think we're getting to that stage where you might actually get to learn a little bit more about what he does when he's not having to play survival soccer. My first thought uh, it w- was kind of twofold. It, it was nowhere near as developed as Jason's, 
or or apparently it's Ben's. Um, it was much much closer to Jason's first thought. It was the name Assad in all caps was my first thought, um, followed by uh, oh Rob is going to be really sad. <laughs> uh, Rob Usri, who who's been on the show before, uh, runs Dirty South Soccer, uh, our sister site based out of Atlanta, and he he might be the world's biggest fan of Yamil Assad, and he. <laughs> <laughs> he he made a video that is so uh, beautiful and sad that it made me drop my phone laughing um, when, when I saw it, and uh, I, I feel so bad for for Rob. But I, I think in I his mind, in his mind, this is DC United winning its fourth straight game against Atlanta United <laughs> because he loved Assad, and now Assad is going to be. Uh, dressing for us against Atlanta. And that's going to be a beautiful thing from my perspective, but not from his. Uh, so let's, uh, I, I, I do want to get into the knock on effects of, of this signing because it does mean United is arguably overinvested at midfield, though. I don't necessarily agree that they are because this road trip is going to be hell on, on guys' bodies, especially that, that stretch where they're flying back and forth between the West coast and the East coast several times over the course of three weeks. Um, I think that, that having depth and having squad rotation are going to be a necessary thing. And the fact that we're not turning to uh, with apologies to, to some of these guys, we're not turning to Connor Doyle or uh, God, who else? Uh, Sorry, Connor. Doyle. Yeah, or or Sebola too. We're we're not turning to guys like that to start games. I mean, Lewis Neal. Lewis Neal was great, but yeah, he's, he's No, probably, no, come Adam, Adam. He, he was great in big moments for DC United. He was great in one big moment. He's Two he was a moments. solid He was a solid player. Ben, you're way underestimating the number of of big moments. Um, but I don't think Neal is analogous in this situation cuz he wasn't a late mid to late preseason attacking signing. He was just a midfielder, whereas Assad and and Connor Doyle and Sebastian Latou are more guys that are being we're being told like this is going to boost our attack. And in the case of Assad, that's true. Um, 2010 Jaime Moreno. But he wasn't a signing. Ben Ben, you took this to a dark place. Yeah. <laughs> uh you were asking me for more examples, so I'm going. He wasn't going a signing. <laughs> he wasn't. He was, yeah, they, he wasn't. They, re, they, re-sign, they re-signed him for that. I mean, regardless, we're not turning to guys who are either past their prime or not uh, goal dangerous at this point. We're turning to guys like Yamil Assad and Zoltan Stieber and Paul Ariola and rotating them. At, at this wide position, that's that's the the scenario I foresee. I know that there are many other scenarios that that could play out, and let, let's get into to some of those. Um, I think on on our group chat uh, a- after the news broke, the possibly I, I think what some people would call the most outlandish, but not as crazy as you think necessarily. Possibility is is some guys who could be on the trading block. Um, Paul Ariola, obviously, I, I don't think is going anywhere. He's the the highest paid player on the team. He's the the biggest investment in team history. I doubt he's going anywhere. 
but anybody else could be fair game. And I, I don't think this is going to happen, but if the opportunity comes to sign a proven striker and to give up a, a Stieber or an Acosta, do you think Dave Casper at least considers it? I think with, with Stieber, more I mean, likely than Acosta. Good. Yeah, because they, they, they gave a lot of outlay for Acosta. Uh, they paid over a million dollars in transfer fee to get he's him. Younger. So that, yeah. he's younger. That's a lot of investment. He's, um, he's also in the center of the park. He's a natural guy there. Assad's proven on the outside. He's not proven in MLS in the middle. He played there in Argentina, but not here. Yeah, I mean... I think there 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 has to be another well not has to be but I think there's another move coming. Uh, it's probably an interleague trade of some sort, but obviously I don't know what it is. But the only other options at this point are either benching people or throwing somebody who has no experience at a like serious professional level at striker into the striker conversation. If if I I just can't see throwing. Uh, Stiebe or uh, As- uh, Assad into the striker converse- conversation, no matter how much we might want to do that. And that brings up, uh, I think, a, a concern that a lot of people have expressed. Assad's a great player in MLS, at least, you know, based on one year of evidence, but he's not a number nine. He's not, right. certainly not the number nine that that DC United fans, including us, have been clamoring for. Uh, and, and I'm curious what, what that means. And um, let, let's, let's, I guess, jump into this a little bit. Um, my, the theory that that's developed, I think, uh, or at least the hypothesis that's developed uh, since word of DC United pursuing two Latin American players an attacker and an outside back Assad, I think it's safe to say is the attacker. We don't know who the outside back is yet. Um, could be a guy from, uh, shoot, who's the Colombian team Liga de? Help me out. Who's the? I, I don't know what you're going for here. <laughs> anyway, DC United was apparently following uh, or view, had a scout or or somebody viewing a, a Colombian team recently, um, and there could be a left back coming out of that. I don't know, uh, but. I, I've completely talked myself off the rails. I apologize. <laughs> uh, if we know that that DC United has brought in uh, an attacker and they they could bring in a fullback, but not a number nine this winter, is is the thinking that they don't have the resources? Do you think, or or is it that they they don't like who's available in this window and? they're going to trust Mullins and Maddox and Miranda to, to get us through the road trip so they can sign the, uh, a bigger name in the summer, which I've said would, would be a little bit disappointing for me. But at the same time, I remember Marcelo Gallardo and what happens when this team tries to force a signing rather than going with the one that's right. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll let Jason get into the details here shortly, but, I'm not as concerned about them not signing a number nine right now because I don't know. I don't think they necessarily need a traditional number nine. I think they've shown their ambition so far this offseason. So I'm not worried about their ambition, especially with the 
uh, Assad signing. So I think they're trying to put in as many good pieces as they can, and then they'll see where they are come the summer. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, I think um, they did need to sign uh, uh, one more higher-level higher striker than they have, someone who can be more counted on a little more. Um, on the other hand, it has occurred to me that um, it could be a situation where they couldn't, they just couldn't quite find the player that was the right fit. They couldn't make the terms work in this window, and they're going to hold off until um, the summer, which they kind of did last year to DC's detriment. Um, to, the season was too far gone by then to really fix it. Um, but they've they've done a lot of work, but they haven't made that. Um, I mean, this would be the big splash signing uh, up to this point. Um, but this is still not the kind of high, you know, we're talking about a player that would require seven-figure transfer fee. That's kind of what fans were looking for. Um, and it might be that they just can't find the right guy for that price tag. And so they've decided, you know, we've only got one shot at this thing. Let's not waste it in the winter on a guy that we're not 100% sure of. Um, and that's not, you know, we don't have some rumor that we can't talk about that we're not putting on the air. Um, that's speculative on my part. It's just the sense I get is that, um, they haven't quite found the perfect fit. And when you're spending that kind of money, you, you need to be pretty sure that you've got the perfect fit. Um, and going back to last summer, there was that, um, in the midst of all of that, uh, insanity was that rumor that they had some sort of talks with Wayne Rooney at one point. Um, that didn't pan out, but it, I can't shake, not specifically Rooney, but someone in that sort of stratosphere in terms of recognition and, you know, the financial, uh, commitment it would require. Um, I can't help but wonder if they're not holding off until the summer to go after that kind of player, because you're not, you're probably not getting that kind of player in the winter, unless there's some significant question mark over that player. Like, for example, if you're the galaxy and signing a, 36-year-old, twice uh, ACL-repaired Zlatan Ibrahimovic, um, there are question marks over Zlatan. Uh, as much as he's a tremendous player with a great history and all that, there's still question marks there. Um, I think DC might be thinking, let's not go in for the guy that has the question marks and it's going to cost a lot. Let's go for the one where we can be as certain as possible. Um, that's what I'm hoping for at this point because I think we all know that with this outlay, this this expenditure of the various allocation money that's going in, the striker isn't coming in. Um, if they go sign Assad, if they finalize this, that you know that ship has sailed um, for the time being. Um, and and the, the the idea needs to be that they can create enough chances that um, Mullins can get back towards you know if not at his ceiling, which we saw in 2016, at least closer to it. Um, and yeah, this this is something we we talked about in the group chat right. too, um, where where Matt Doyle from from MLS Soccer dot com talked about Columbus being a team where their system is generated just to create tap ins for that center forward, whoever it may be, and that's not a bad system to to sure, have. But- and it, it sounds like DC United is trying to create a platform that, that maybe not is exactly the same, but is the same kind of thought where you have a good enough center forward that can put away all the 
some of the the many chances that are being created. Yeah, I mean, it, that could be part of the idea is like, all right, we can't find the striker that's going to be uh, burying every single difficult chance, but we might be able to um, just create enough chances where they don't have to be uh, lights out as finishers go. Um, that could be part of the thought process. Um, I don't know that I'm, I I don't think we're going to see Ben Olsen implement a Greg Berhalter system. I think there is as much as I said that we don't exactly know what Olsen's inclinations are when conditions are perfect. I do think he has a little bit more, uh, caution in his innate makeup as a coach than Berhalter does. Um, because Berhalter has shown, uh, in Columbus that he'll just, he wants to play wide open and he'll take that risk regardless of what comes with it. Um, I don't know that we're ever going to see that kind of play uh, under Olsen. And, and what that means is that you're not going to be able to mimic um, that system all that well because their whole system thrives on the fact that they take so many risks that they eventually end up with um, whoever their striker happens to be getting easy chances. That's that, that's what the whole thing is built around is that we'll get enough of those easy chances that the rest of it is worth is worth the gamble. Um, but it is it is possible that um, we could be seeing something built around the idea of we don't have a, an elite MLS goal scorer, but we can, you know, we, Olsen has said a few times that it's going to be goal scoring by committee. He said it this offseason. He said it a bunch of times in previous offseasons. Um, and maybe the whole idea is going to be more of a, um, you know, RSL had their years that where the team was the star and they their system was the, the biggest thing they had going. Um, and maybe that's the idea is that if you just have enough talent all over the place that your your platform uh, can be your system rather than saying we need player X, Y and Z to do everything. Um, so maybe that's the game plan. Um, but it's really at this point, it's it's still super unclear to me because uh, I mean, when it all when it all settles, I still think I see DC playing a four, two, three, one or a four, one, four, one. And, and one of these big names is just going to be the first guy off the bench rather than starting, whether it's Steber or Assad or, or maybe even Acosta. Um, it's probably Ariola. I think is safe. Acosta, I think is probably safe, but not quite as safe as Ariola. Um, but I mean, there are many words, there are much bigger problems to have than, um, being able to bring Zoltan Steber or Yamil Assad into a game. That's still, pretty cool um if we can i think it's less about one guy being on the bench and and more uh a a different three out of these four guys are going to start basically every week every game during this road trip um maybe once the season i mean even even in the back half when they're at home a lot more uh the the season doesn't really settle down they're still going to be playing two games in a week a lot of the time so i wouldn't be at all surprised if if there's you know there we kind of get a hint of what the the top combination Mm -hmm. is but we only see it a third of the time um and it's important to remember that um generally speaking if you've got a whole team of players who are a little tired from the short rest um your attacking players being tired that's going to show more quickly than elsewhere because they're going to not be they're, they're not going to be as quick. They're not going to be as creative. They kind of lose that little edge to their game. And the, the whole game is about those little edges. So um, if you go from your attacking trio being, you know, on, you know, let's say it's a three game week. So it's Sunday you play 
and everyone's at 100%. And then you start those same three guys on Wednesday. Now they're down to like 75%. And then you trot them out again the next weekend. Now you're getting 50% and all of a sudden they aren't able to create. And it's like, what's wrong with them? Why can't they create in this home game? And it's like, well, they're exhausted. They don't have anything to give. Um, and and it shows through a little more um, in those attacking phases. This is why coaches make the sub. They tend to make their subs. This is one of the reasons why. Um, coaches tend to make their subs on that end of the field rather than further back. Um, you want stability and consistency, um, which are easier to replicate when you're tired than it is when you have to be inventive and tired. Um, and so I think maybe that's part of the thought process too, is to be able to con- continuously rotate. Um, I think uh, Stieber could easily play on the right. Um, I think he's got that in his, his bag. Um Assad, I've never seen it happen, but I, I, it wouldn't shock me if he could pull it off without too much of a problem. Um, and Assad and Stieber could both play uh, in Acosta's spot. So um, there's certainly a good possibility that they're going to become a team that can rotate those guys and stay fresh every week or every game. Whereas last year, we saw a lot of teams where it was just United was tired from the get-go. So, Jason, what you're saying is target Areola. Uh I don't know about that. Areola as an number uh, nine. I don't know necessarily playing long balls into a uh, five foot six guy is the best plan. Um, uh, having him go win- even if he is the handsomest man in MLS. Yeah, that that doesn't help you win the ball though. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> I mean, if the other guy's distracted, I guess if they if they stand back and admire him, <laughs> um, like you look good, man. Oh, you've run past me. Yeah, and he he and Areola just very politely and friend not not politely but but cordially, very friendly-like, says, thanks, pal, and then takes the ball and blows by them. Yeah. I mean... I really all, hope we see that at some It's point. all on the table at this point is the thing. Like, <laughs> the, the, We don't know what the strategy is. Right. Uh, th- there are so many possibilities with this group, this midfield now. Um, there are things we can rule out. Um, I think adding Assad to this group pretty much rules out a 3-5-2. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah, and let's also be clear, like, even though he did it in Mexico a, a handful of times, Ben Olsen was never going to use Paul Ariola as a wing back. It's it's not going to happen. Outside of, right. like, and late game emergencies, like, yeah, 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 yeah. a goal and it's the 80th minute, that's, yeah. Right, right, um, right. It would be stunning to see that be the end game here because Ariola, I mean, a big part of the rationale of his decision to come here was to be, uh, an impact player on the attacking end. And then, you know, to spend that money and then immediately or not immediately, but a couple months later, be like, now you're right back. Um, that would be pretty shocking. Um, I mean, then again, the Assad move is shocking. So I, <laughs> I, I, we've only had a few hours to deal with it. We're what six hour. We're recording this about six hours after the news broke. Um, so we're still coming yeah. to grips with like, what does it mean when DC United just goes hog wild on attacking midfield types? We haven't even talked about the fact that uh, Ulysses Segura, I mean, I'm still saying that he is probably going to be better for this team on the right than in the middle. Um, so, you know, we've got to add that in as well. Darren Maddox can play on the left, though. Now that we're so deep, I don't see him getting any time there because why, why bother? Um but yeah, it, the team is insanely deep in this one region of the field, and that's awesome and very fun. But it's also like, have we perhaps uh, overcommitted to this one region of the field at the detriment of others? Also, sorry, Ian Harks, you may be in Richmond this year. 
I don't see that happening. I think he'll 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 be where? in the eighteen. Where? Where? He'll be in the where? eighteen. Where? He'll be in the eighteen in central midfield. Where? Because you're going to have Canaus and Moreno, and then if Segura's Segura might be there, he might not be. Uh, Harks could be there. In the, in I'm, the not uh, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. I think so. I do. Wanna, I, think too, I, I think it's a real long I, shot that he spends any time in Richmond. Yeah, that's probably true. But it's, it's they're so deep that I don't. Uh, you got you, like for Harks, you have to get him playing time somewhere. True. Yeah, and that's not even talking about Chris Durkin, which we won't talk about this week. <laughs> I do want to push back just a little bit on the idea that United has overcommitted to this spot. Um, I, I think as far as the, the numbers, they're not th- there's a lot of guys who can play on the outside and, and also play elsewhere. But I think you meant financially overcommitted. Am I, am I wrong in that understanding? Say it again. A- am I wrong in thinking you mean they're, they're financially overcommitted at, at wide midfield I, I, I as opposed to the- just number of roster spots? It's 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 both. It's it's the cap commitment. It's you know if if ownership wants to spend their money above and beyond cap commitments, then I don't care. Um, if they want to pay uh, Assad ten million dollars this year, the cap hit he's taking up is only you know four hundred something thousand or whatever the DP cap hit is. Um, that's their business. Um, but yeah, the the roster is extremely deep on midfielders, and yet right now yeah, they're. In- in training camp, there are two fullbacks under contract and three trialists, one of whom was let go by the Whitecaps, one of whom was let go by DC United, and one of whom right. is 21. Um, right. My, so, my, my point, though, is I, I think they're, they, they are going to be budget shopping a little bit at, at fullback, but with all the TAM they acquired, much of which they, they have now sent to Atlanta, um, they and with the availability of discretionary TAM, and I, I haven't noticed MLS specifying whether TAM that's being used to pay down someone's salary against the the salary budget is discretionary TAM, which the team can purchase, versus uh, regular TAM, which the team gets every you know just as a matter right. of course from the league. And regular TAM is tradable. Discretionary TAM is not. Uh, you have if you buy discretionary TAM, you have to use that for salary purposes. Yeah, I'm curious whether some of this going to Assad and Lucho and Stieber and even Birnbaum, who I think is also on a TAM level deal. Uh, I, I'm curious how much of that could be discretionary TAM. Jason, I know you wrote a piece arguing that the team needed to dip into that fund yeah. this year, and I think they might be and. That's pretty so. damn exciting because that means yeah. that they they have plenty of salary budget room to sure. add a DP sure. or two between now and the end of the summer window, or, or even just a TAM level fullback. Um, yeah, you even, can go yeah. use that discre- discretionary TAM and just sign a really good fullback. Which I feel like every time DC United has been successful under Ben Olsen, the fullback situation has been really good. Everyone's either been healthy or in form or both. Um, and when DC United has been bad, the fullbacks have been really bad. And there's not, there's never really been that, like, well, the fullbacks have been good, but everywhere else sucks. It's like, well, that's one of the major problems this team has. Um, and so, you know, as much as I think, hopefully Taylor Kemp with his recovery from surgery, we heard from 
uh, Olson on a press conference or a conference call, I should say, last week that Kemp's first today we're recording on Monday. Today was his first day of 100 percent unrestricted training um, post uh, uh, that hip surgery. Um, hopefully he's back and back up to where he was in 2016. I think that hip injury was an ongoing thing last year. Um, and hopefully Nick DeLeon continues to grow into his right back role. But, um, if I, I, I want to see this team go for more there, we talked about this last week. Um, but one of the things is, you know, fullbacks are getting kind of expensive because we're not as a country, we don't develop many good fullbacks. Um, even on the national team level, we end up having to go, um, find dual nationals that were developed elsewhere. We find them because, you know, they end up playing it. And part of it is that we don't develop a good pool of fullbacks um, here within the U.S. Our clubs, our youth teams, we just don't do it. Um, and and players even, who are athletic and skilled enough to play they, fullback inevitably play central midfield or striker and it happens or, or further the, up the field. It happens in the men's game and the women's game. It, it's yeah. an across the board thing. We just don't develop fullbacks very often here. Um, so it might be something where because of the supply and demand, the simple supply and demand, um, the supply is low and the, everyone needs fullbacks and the supply of them is low. There's a reason why TFC is out signing uh, Gregory Vanderveel. Um, and we missed our one shot. Stephen Betashore was the one free agent fullback that was out there that was like a stone cold lock that's that ship has sailed so now maybe this is where that discretionary tam comes into play is uh you know the latin american fullback that has been rumored maybe that's where that the money for that comes from because um the team still has plenty of allocation money but a significant chunk of it just or not just walked out the door but is packing its bags to walk out the door um and so they've got to find something because if they enter the season with that fullback, the fullback scenario as is in camp, then I would start to think we're going to look back at all of these midfield signings and say, man, if we had just allocated the money for one of those midfield signings towards the, the back four, we would have been a lot better off. But it's still it's only February 5th. Um, a lot of things are still going to happen between now and uh, March 4th. So we've got time. It's just, you know you start to feel it when, when it becomes February, you start to feel it a little bit in January. It's like, Oh, it's, you know, we've got a while, but now we're less than a month away from the start of the season. So you start to feel it a little bit. The urgency's on us. We have one last little thing to talk about before we, we call it a show. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is filibuster, the black and red United podcast. Hey Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> 
they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, where we're asking the hard questions like, will Frederick Briant be a winger for DC United? We're not actually asking that. I'm lying. Uh, the only reason to think he would be is because he is taking over number 13, which was worn by Paul Ariola last year and Chris Pontius before him, uh, causing some people to say that maybe that will become a, a traditional winger number for DC United. I, I think it was a little bit premature. Uh, as evidenced by the fact that a center back will be wearing that number. Uh, there's some other changes to to run through. Jason, do you have any that you want to shout out in particular? Um, I, I was kind of surprised that Paul Ariola changed uh, from 13 to 11, or not 13 to 11, 13 to 7. Um, yeah. But then again, 7 is like the ultra-traditional right-wingers number. Um, mm-hmm. Not ultra-traditional right-winger in political terms, but uh, soccer terms. Um, that's like the old school back in the two, three, five days, the seven was the guy that played on the right. It actually, you were obliged to give that player the number seven shirt, um, or people would be very upset with you. Um, so that, that was kind of a surprise to me. I, I figured maybe he picked 13 and it, um, was what I don't, I think he wore 23 with the uh, Sholos, I want to say. So, um, maybe he's just been waiting for his shot to get the number seven all these years. Um, so that was kind of a surprise to me. Um, uh, I guess um, the one thing that, and we've known this is maybe the first number we really had an idea of. Um, DC United put out a, I think a tweet video or a Twitter video with um, with this in there that Junior Moreno was going to wear number five, which in Argentina especially and in a lot of South American teams, um, a number the number five is what we would think of as the number six. Um, right. in terms of midfield role. So um, seeing him pick that maybe gives me the idea that – or it maybe more reaffirms the idea that I've been working with, which is that if he and Canales are a midfield pairing, he's going to be the more defensive player of the two. Um, and then Canales would be the number eight. But we'll, we'll see. It could still be that um, he and Canales don't – be they aren't a pairing. Maybe they end up working against each other um, and competing for one spot. We'll see, but um, we're when we're trying to read something as as thin as the numbers and determine what they might mean, that's something that came to my mind. I, I have to say, I'm a number anarchist. I want people to choose just whatever number they want. Like, I think some people have been recently uh, uh, rebuked for choosing like 85 and random like really high numbers and I love it. I right. want you to choose any sure. number you want. Though the weird Mexican teams who choose like numbers in the hundreds, I'm like I'm yes. down with it. I want all of that. I want people to choose any number they want whatsoever. You want a goalie to yeah. wear number 10 and a striker to wear number 1. I want a goalie to wear number 957. I, I I'm <laughs> down with it. I want anything. I mean I'm a number anarchist. I don't want numbers deep into the hundreds because that's just harder to remember than two digit two digit numbers adding an order of magnitude just makes everything harder 
Sure, but I mean that, that's that's fair. But we also have uh, a player who's most famous for I'm not most famous, but he was also became famous for wearing ninety nine. Well, he did that because his number was given to a fourteen year old. I know the reasons, but <laughs> he still became a, again famous for wearing ninety nine. That's so true. He could have chosen uh, another number, but he chose 99. And I think we should carry on uh, Jaime Moreno's tradition and just allow people to choose whatever number they want. So 84, 37, Dennis Rodman's 91. I mean, I don't associate that with Dennis Rodman, but sure. Ben, Ben, are you a big big fan of Travis Wara going back to number 48 uh, after a year as number one? I mean, I do like – I mean – Despite what I just said, I do like the weird tradition of DC United goalkeepers choosing 48. I, I just like that. There's There's been some weird – DC United goalkeepers have had some of the weirdest number. Mark Simpson wore number two um, <laughs> back in the 90s, which was uh, – at the time, there were so many weird things happening that it was like, this is not – we don't have time for this one. But in retrospect, is a very strange thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah uh, – I, I also I, I noticed that Bruno Miranda changed from 27 to 32, which is two different strange numbers that you don't see very often in soccer. Yeah, normally when numbers change, you don't go up. Usually yeah, you, you go down. You come or, down yeah. like Zoltan yeah, Stieber changed from 19 last year well, to 18 he has a brand this year. Uh, he has the uh, Stevie 18 uh, yeah. hashtag to protect. So I understand his thought, right, thought process. <laughs> but um, he, he but also yeah. did the traditional thing where you come down when you yes. towards the number you want. Um. But yeah, uh, maybe Miranda was just a huge Bobby Boswell fan all this time, and now he finally gets to wear uh, his hero's jersey. <laughs> I am not going to top that. Let's let's get out of here. Thank you all for listening uh, to Filibuster this week. Find us at blackandredunited.com. If you feel like supporting us financially uh, or just buying access to the various pictures of us with goats, both real and... Um, not drawn i guess occult goats i don't i i think there is at least one picture of an occult type goat on our patreon page that's patreon.com slash filibuster where you can support us financially find us on twitter at filibuster dcu for the podcast at black and red u for the website send your emails to filibuster podcast at gmail.com Find us wherever you find other podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, the Internet Archive. I don't know who looks. I I would not look for us in a dark alley unless it's the one that leads to my street because I am in that one pretty, pretty regularly. It's the only way to get to my street. Um, But but don't don't go wandering D.C. dark alleys looking for Adam. Don't do it. Please don't for your safety time as well. Like, even assuming absolutely nothing goes wrong, there's a lot of alleys in D.C. Um, and we're not going to tell you which one Adam's in. Right. I appreciate that. It's the darkest <laughs> one, though. <laughs> it, right now, it might be. It is. Uh, mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. That's the best way to spread the word about us. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. It's not the dark alley you think it is. This is not the dark alley you're looking for. It's the dark alley you want it to be. Maybe the real dark alley is the friends we've made along the way.